The Teachers College at Emporia State University presents How We Teach This. Our episode today is a continuation of an interview between Haley Kistner, student at Emporia State University, and Michael McKnight on impacting students who are struggling. If you missed part one of this interview, I highly recommend you go back and listen to it first because you're gonna love the advice that he shares on how to connect with the students that need it the most. You can find that episode on our website, www.emporia.edu HWTT. Look for episode seven, aired April 13th of 2022. Thanks for listening. I am pleased to announce that we have a guest interviewer for this episode. Haley has interviewed several experts on the topic of social emotional learning and trauma-informed education. Haley, would you introduce yourself and tell us what interested you in learning about this topic and participating in the podcast? Yeah, so thank you for having me. My name is Haley Kisner and I am a senior at um, Emporia State University in Emporia, Kansas. I actually just changed majors. So I was an elementary education major in the block one program. So pretty, um, pretty far into my degree, but um, actually within learning um, about the brain and more of the psychology and the neuroscience behind um, really trauma, it really inspired me to get more into that. And so I've actually switched my major to psychology and I'm happy to pursue school psychology right now. So that's where I'm currently at in my degree, but I'm still here at Emporia State and worked along with Ms. Gerleman, my professor for my special ed and trauma classes. And we just were able to collaborate through my honors contract with the Honors College to set these podcasts up and meet these people. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being our guest interviewer. For our listening audience, I think you will appreciate Haley's expertise in asking questions as she interviews our different experts on the topic of trauma-informed education. Well, congratulations on uh, your plans at Emporia State University, Haley. Thank you. Thank you. If you could give a piece of advice or something you would want your, that you tell your students, um, what would you give to a pre-service teacher that really hopes to implement your strategies, neuroscience in the classroom, self-regulation? Like overall, is there something you always just want students to take away? You know, one thing I think I would, I like letting students know is, is teaching is, is an art and a skill. And it, it takes all, uh, the thing I love about it is, is, you know, I've been at it for, gosh, you know, 40 years and I, and I still learn things and I've never had a, a class that was absolutely perfect, but I've always learned from it. So I think, I, I think it's important to give yourself some grace as a, as a new teacher. There's a ton of new things to learn. There's tons of paperwork to get in the way of real, real work that we do. Um, and, and really kind of recognize that, you know, it's going to take a, a bit of time to do all these things extremely well. So just pick a few uh, to <laughs> practice. And, and a few is really, you know, you know, thinking about your, your routines, your rituals that you do. I can still remember my first day in class, 12 emotionally troubled adolescents. And the, and the morning went really pretty well. 
I'm going back a long time. I even had hair then. Um, and, it, you know, it was lunchtime. And I said, oh, line up for lunch. So in about two seconds, we had a pile of bodies at the doorway, right? Uh, and, and the rest of the day went downhill from there. So, yeah. so those little things, I think uh, you kind of uh, almost, what I tell new teachers is recognize your mistakes, kind of muddle through them. And then as you're driving home at night, create another routine to fix it. Because most of the things that we do are kind of like that. Um, they, they come out of things that we really haven't thought of yet. And there's a lot of them uh, that happen in class. And a lot of them can be prevented thinking ahead. But often, uh, you know, I think most of them came out of the multiple mistakes I've made uh, doing it, doing it the wrong way. And then just kind of rethinking it rather than saying, oh, these kids are just terrible. They can't even line up. Nah, hey, I got to take that one. Yeah. The other thing, I, I love Bruce Perry's sequence of discipline, and it goes regulate, relate, and then reason, bottom up. Uh, so if we've got a problem with a child, I want to make sure that, that that kid's in their cortex, kind of settled, so that we can problem solve. I've had a lot of conversations with unsettled kids, and me being a little unsettled. And, and those things go bad fast yeah. uh, with troubled kids. We, ask, we end up escalating. So I think those kind of two things uh, to start off and just really give yourself some grace. There's a lot of things to learn in a classroom. Back to what you said about, you know, obviously you can't be dysregulated and expect to be able to co-regulate with a student or regulate. Um, do you have any personal tips that you do when you recognize that you're getting dysregulated? Like, do you leave the situation? Yes, I do. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. That's a great question. So one of the things I, I teach is a, a two-day trauma responsive classroom management and leadership class. Ooh. And one of the strategies I do, do share, and, and again, you know, people can do all different kinds of things, but the one I, I share is take the, uh, the tip of your tongue. Mm -hmm. and smash it against your front teeth. Now try to talk. <laughs> you can't. Yeah. So one of the things adults do uh, when they start getting wound up is they talk a lot. They talk faster. They talk louder. That's the adult brain downshifting with stress, <laughs> right? And, and, and it actually speeds everything up instead of slowing everything down. So one of the strategies is to do that and take a breath through your nose. Just give yourself a minute before you respond and, and think about what it is. You don't do a discipline act, action publicly. So how, what do you got? What are you going to do? Lori and I talk about, you know, setting up, a, we call them amygdala reset stations in a classroom as a sort of a, a backup system that we can ask a kid, hey, why don't you take a break, go back, you know, no penalties, no nothing, just go back. There's some things down, down there that they can regulate with. Uh, so by some time, I settle the rest of the group and we can go back and fix whatever happened. So the earlier we can do some of that stuff, 
um, I think the smoother uh, we, can, we can learn to do things. And, and we teach kids about those systems and, and how to use them. Uh, and that becomes part of our routines in the classroom. I love that. I'm going to do that in my own classrooms. There you go. Now try it. It'll be yeah. fun. Uh, and, and, you know, again, you always have to monitor and adjust. Uh, your teachers will ask, oh, my God, what happens if they want to be there all the time? Uh, and I'm like, you know, I've never had a kid that that's what they want to do unless yeah. my lessons are really terrible <laughs> and yeah, boring. That, 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 yeah, they want to, you know, they want to be with class and have have yeah. have, have some fun. So it's kind of a, a way to uh, to build in some low level. We call them backup systems. Um, we don't call them negative sanctions. We just want to want to buy time because we want to regulate. And, and, and try to try to regulate that way and, and have some fun doing it. I love it. I think that's very similar. I like the amygdala reset stations, especially if you're teaching brain biology, you might as well sure. use that word. But um, I, I think we call it calm corners or I've uh-huh. heard like different names. But yeah, I love that. Thanks. It's fun to, to play with with uh, with students and uh, and and you know again it 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 really works with that connection. Building connection with your most troubled kids is not a quick event. Um, it's an endurance event. You can't overdo it. Kind of drop seeds of uh, we call it noticements. You know, so notice things about kids and their, their new sneakers, their, uh, uh, their new tattoo, if you're teaching adolescents, <laughs> uh, their near, new ear piercing, whatever it is, uh, notice, uh, see them in the hallway and say hi, uh, if you're in middle school or high school. Um, I used to stop by in the cat. I love stopping by in the cafeteria. High school students are like shocked that the teacher would come up and say hi to them in the in the cafeteria. We need to admit, do that. I mean, yeah. not not bug them, but certainly you know make sure we recognize them, uh, say something, uh, notice something. Uh, those connections go a long way. And once you're connected with kids, they even allow us to make mistakes. Exactly. Relationships that powerful. I love that. I feel like sometimes teachers just like, oh, thank goodness it's recess or thank goodness it's, you know, lunch, but like, come on, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's nothing more fun and regulating than playing with your kids at recess. Exactly. Uh, And it's a great way to form those connections. Um, So uh, yeah, we're missing those opportunities and, and, uh, and, and we really want to dose those kids as often as possible with good stuff. Yeah. It's fun. Awesome. So as me reading this book and me doing this, um, it's called an honors contract with Miss Gerleman, but um, I've kind of really realized like kind of the reevaluation maybe that needs to take place of pre-service education or like teacher education and different things. And obviously, you know, I wish every pre-service teacher going out would know this information but if you could create like the perfect model or like the perfect um like what do you wish pre-service teachers knew entering the classroom I guess what are like your top three if you feel like necessarily necessarily things that they need to know or um I think a couple of things um and I think we're missing the boat with pre-service teachers and and uh, and what we're uh or we've arranged for them to know. 
Uh, and a lot of it over time has just become content. Yeah. You know, how do you teach this? How do you teach that? Um, you know, and I have no problem with learning how to teach content, but actually that's the easiest part of teaching, right? So, you know, uh, the, the harder part of teaching is, is really the, the, uh, the dynamics of, of, of uh, working with individuals and working with groups at the same time. Uh, and that, that's, that's different. It, it requires different levels of skill. Um, and I think, um, I think without that, what, what happens is, is, is teachers uh, uh, go into classrooms uh, and either uh, uh, do what was done to them and be, or uh, say, I don't want to do that. And they don't know what to do instead. <laughs> Yeah. So, and that was certainly, that was certainly the boat I was in 40 years ago, and it's still the same boat. So we really need to give them some real practical kinds of skills on, you know, here's what, here's ways you can do this. Here's what discipline non-publicly looks at, like in a classroom, you don't use your voice, move your body, those kind of things would at least get them off to a good start as they kind of have to learn. And I think we need to spend way more time on that, those things uh, and a little less time on, uh, I don't know if you guys are doing some of the evaluation stuff we're doing here and recording uh, student teacher lessons and at oh, yeah. TPA. Are you guys doing that too? Um, not necessarily recording. Luckily we're able to go in the classroom, but okay. uh, yeah. But I mean, it's just, uh, I think we lose a lot of teachers in the first three or four years of their yeah. career. And it's not because they don't know content. It's because of this stuff. Uh, and you go into some of our harder places and the turnover rates in, in some of our really hard districts are just astronomical. And it, my heart breaks because really uh, those kids in some of our toughest places really need uh, need our, our best teachers yes. and, and our teachers that really, I love the concept of a, a couple of ways of thinking what we have to be. I like the concept of uh, the research calls uh, uh, the archetype of a, uh, of a good teacher, a warm demander. So that, that integration of the ability to be warm and kind, but also structured also being able to, to say, no, we're not going to do that. Um, those, the, that combination, I like to call it high level caregiver skills and high level warrior skills integrated because you've got to be able to do both. And, and that takes time to develop. I think we all naturally come to it with one or more, one of, more of one of those things and less of the other. And, and what I see a lot of new teachers do is struggling with how do I structure this? And they bounce around from kind of uh, being nice to being kind of hostile, and then they feel bad and want to be nice again. And, and that's really, it's really hard because they're being led by the emotions of the group. And without that intervention, it happens a lot to new teachers. Uh, so I, I think the better way to do that would be able to give them some of this uh, prior to, you know, just kind of being in classrooms. I agree. 
you talked about teacher retention and I think what, something that goes in with that is like not having that type of reset when you go home or not having that type of self-care implemented. Do you, or do you have, like, did you do that originally when you first started? Did no, you know no, that? That was, it was terrible. <laughs> uh, uh, when I first started, I'm telling you, my first three years were like literally a nightmare. I would go home after school uh, my conversation on the drive home would be like, what, what am I doing? Like, this is just, just terrible. And then um, I would wake up probably at like uh, five o'clock in the morning, way early and, and go, oh my God, I got to do this again. Um, oh I, was, I would uh, literally the first year, uh, you know, my kids would uh, be coming to school on one of those little, little special ed buses. Um, I was in a, uh, in a school that the, the administrator was not real friendly with my kids, um, didn't like them. Um, and I, I can remember um, I had one student that I would look out the window every morning and go, gosh, I wish Joe would not be, I changed his name, would not be here today. Of course, yeah. Joe was there every day. Uh, yep, and, that's usually uh, how it works. <laughs> And uh, just kind of really struggled. Uh, one of the things that helped even with that was recognizing uh, Joe's foster was in foster care and his foster parents were struggling too. And, and they allowed me to go to one of the uh, sessions with the therapist that they were going to. He wasn't there, but I was there and got, got even a little bit more of, of the background. And, and, you know, it, it, you really, you know, you start to go, oh, geez, no wonder, you know, after a while, it's like, hey, guess what? I mean, it took me a while to attach. Kids don't want to just come into school classrooms and, and make your life miserable as a teacher. Yeah. If they're bringing that in, something is going on in their lives. I, you don't need to know what, but you need to recognize it. It's not about us. You know, and it's yeah. not to, and, and it's hard to do, I think, as a new teacher. Uh, you kind of take it kind of personally. It's like, geez, why is this kid cursing at me? I didn't <laughs> do anything. Um, it takes a little bit of time, uh, but that's a big shift. Um, the other thing I think it took me a little bit of time is I need something more than control in a classroom. I need cooperation, right? So, uh, I need influence. So I need uh, the foundation of influence. The, the foundation of cooperation is a, is a connected, healthy relationship. And that's created through safety and connection. Part of my job is to protect our relationship. And with troubled kids, they'll do things that you're going to have to protect them from themselves almost because it's so easy to get into it with them. You can't talk to me like that. You can't do that. We're going to put you out. I mean, we have schools in America that suspensions rates are, are 30%. Yeah. So we really need to change that dynamic. And it starts with recognizing what's underneath the behavior. And this isn't really about us. Um, what are these kids carrying? And then, then how can I absorb some of the hostility and still protect that connection? Because I need it to influence you. Once that connection's established, 
these kids will follow you forever. I mean, one of the neat things about social media is I have a lot of ex-students that I get to connect with now that have found me. And it's, <laughs> and it's really neat to see some, some kids that were really young and struggling uh, and the research in resiliency is, it points to this. Most kids make it. Um, and, and most of those that made it point to one or two connections uh, that really helped them through difficult times um, and, and, and they made it through. They never became straight A students, but they, they, they were able to get their lives together Many of them start their own families, uh, and it's great to see on that end when, when we get that gift. That has to be rewarding. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of fun, too. Awesome. Well, that was the end of my list of questions. Okay. Um, well, the last thing I'd like to say is, a, as a teacher, think about this. Every interaction you make with a kid is an intervention. Every every connection, everything you do is really just a, a, just an opportunity to make that connection. And it's critical because um, kids that are connected will cooperate, will want to do, and they'll influence your growth as much as you're going to influence theirs. I love that. That should also be on a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to make t-shirts. Awesome. My name is Christy Dugan, and uh, I'm the producer of the podcast okay. that you're participating in. I was so interested in your background, and as I've been listening, I had this pressing question that I was really okay. to know your thoughts about. I've been having kind of a philosophical uh, debate and conversation with another person and I taught um, over 20 years, mostly middle school. Um, over half of that was in Title I high poverty schools. And we had a lot of kids that um, were what you would call troubled youth. I was really curious about your TSA nickname. What, what does that stand for? It's PSA, P PSA. as in Paul. Uh, it stands, uh, for me, it stands for a persistent state of alarm. Oh, so those kids, and, and really all of your top tier kids are persistent state of alarm kids, the troubled kids, but, but the PSA kids really look like they have ADHD because they're all over the place. They usually do something when you, when you go to talk to them, they, they even have trouble sequencing what happened. They're mm -hmm. just, and they usually come out of pretty dysregulated homes. Um, you know, there's kind of no predictable routines. There's, you know, they, they come home and are not sure who's even in the house. Uh, it's those kind of, uh, they just often are just all over the place. Um, and, and really you can kind of, I call the, the, the persistent state of alarm is you can almost feel it. Right. So, so you can use your, use those feelings, uh, the kid that you pick up to really diagnose kids. So an angry kid is going to make you either feel angry or want to flight. That fight, flight, right? It'll trigger. That's that angry kid. The depressed kid over time is going to make you start going like, and you do it unconsciously. But if you're conscious, kind of start making you go like, well, she's not really doing anything. I'll just let her sleep. And that, that persistent state of alarm kid is better than a high test cup of coffee, right? You can kind of, they'll get your whole system stirred up. So we can kind of start using 
you know, our bodies, if it's in that calm state to really identify, you know, the nervous system of the other kid and, and begin to think about regulation in that way. You know, and we've all, we've all been around people that kind of stir us up or, or calm us down. And it's kind of fun to see yourself kind of that way as you're in different parts, you know, different experiences anywhere, even in the grocery store, right? Yes, very much. So thank you for clarifying the letters. Uh-huh. I'm glad we got the, the right ones. Persistent state of alarm. So the situation that I had been having this conversation with another one was um, in this Title I school, 96% free and reduced lunch, Mm -hmm. um, more minorities than there were Caucasian. We had two identical twins. Okay. And of these, they would have come from the same family, the same household, They started at the same middle school on the same team of teachers. By the end of eighth grade, one was no longer attending school and was driving the uh, parents' brand new uh, big black SUV to pick up other kids and uh, very obviously on the path of the gangster life, not attending school, don't know what happened to him. The other of the twins, stayed in middle school, was engaged in extracurricular activities, would come back and visit us after he went on to high school, after school and say, hi, how you doing? Checking in with the teachers. And I've been able to, thankfully, um, stay via social media and Facebook to see that he went on to college and got a football scholarship and is doing things with his life. So my question for you is from that, brain-based science, Mm -hmm. what's the difference between these two students? And how do we create more of the one twin who stayed in school and went on to college? And how did we lose the one that we didn't even get out of middle school? Any idea uh, on what's going on in those kind of situations? You really don't know a kid's story until you talk to the kid. And a lot of times I think, I think what, what we miss sometimes is, and especially as teachers, is our kids that are, that are, that are, are becoming troubled, are having trouble. Uh, we really don't spend a lot of time talking to them about that. We spend a lot of time talking about their behavior in school. We write behavioral plans. We write, you know, kinds of, kind of strategies. But unless we really have a relationship where we can talk to that kid, and what I mean by that is in Nick Long's work called Life Space Crisis Intervention, one of the things we do is there's different stages to do do an, an intervention, but the second stage is called a timeline. So if I had that kid, that, that twin that was kind of going, going who knows where, part of what I'd be doing with that kid is really getting a timeline of what's going on with his life around different instant incidents. So, for instance, if this kid act, you know, comes in in the morning and acts out right away, first 40 minutes of the day, usually kids that are doing that are carrying in something to school and dropping it in our laps. 
and it's not about school. But but schools unrecognizing is always about like, what's the matter? You know, you got in a fight with so-and-so. I want to see what is going on in this kid's life. And I'm curious about what happened to that other twin. What happened to that one that, that disallowed the connection? And why was the other one able to connect? And this one's so disconnected, what happened? So we're looking for what we call broken belongings. Underneath most troubled kids' behaviors is a broken belonging, you know, a broken connection. Something happened. And what that is, we won't know unless we really kind of have that relationship and kind of talk about it with that kid. Often schools get sidetracked with talking about their behavior in school and trying to fix it. Uh, we want to look a little deeper than that with those kind of really troubled kids uh, because something else is going on and we don't have to guess. With a relationship, they'll even tell us. I mean, was this kid starting to get involved with drugs and alcohol? Was the kid hanging around with different kids? When the one, one twin was having, you know, doing sports, what was he doing? You know, and a lot of these kids by middle school start finding if they don't belong in school, they, they belong with each other, right? So those troubled kids kind of belong together in their dislike of school and start going down a path of getting in all kinds of different di difficulties, right? But the belonging is still there in all of that. Gangs are belonging, right? Troubled gangs go, go together. They have rituals, they have routines, they have real predictable things, distorted belonging. I wonder if that kid got caught into something like that, they're powerful. And that's how powerful belonging is. If we don't connect with them, uh, it doesn't disappear, they dist it distorts. And we see that a lot um, in, in populations of, of juvenile delinquents, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and all kinds of different kinds of uh, populations that, that we end up punishing more. I hope that helps. Yes, yes, very much. Thank you. Very insightful. And I think uh, coming back to the whole connection piece you definitely could see the one student making those connections mm -hmm. we have to turn that around we connect well with kids that that want to connect with us <laughs> but we don't connect intentionally with kids that are relation. these kids are relationship reluctant they don't want to connect with us we've got to figure out ways to connect with those kids and the earlier the better you know, uh, so, and, and we see these kids in preschool. I mean, that, you know, that kid, who knows if we traced the one twins, you know, connections back, they may have been, been separate for a long time with what they were doing, who they were connecting with and who they weren't. I don't know, but that's what I'd be looking for because often it's that broken connection. Thank you for allowing me to. I don't know. <laughs> anytime. Ask Fun. A question. Fun. Well, thank you, Michael. I am so appreciative of your time and your willingness and your expertise of writing the two books. I can't wait to get the second one. So, <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Um, I love sharing it. I often think 
think back to, again, my first couple of years, three, three years of teaching, and, and it's hard. I mean, go into some of the schools that, uh, like Chrissy just talked about, and it's, it's really, really hard. Often, we have teachers going into some of our most difficult places that have, have really never even been in those areas, right? It's almost like dropping kids in a, in a different planet and then going, okay, culturally, I'm not sure what's going on. And, and there's a lot going on. So uh, anything I can do to help, uh, I, I always jump on. So All really right. nice meeting you guys. Yes, thank you so much. I hope you've enjoyed the conversation between Haley and Michael McKnight, author and educator. If you're curious about that story I mentioned about the twins, I reached out to the twin I still had connections with, and I asked him, what do you think has had the largest impact in helping you to become successful? And his answer had two parts. He said he had found God and the coach in the middle school that helped him become a successful athlete. He was very proud of his accomplishments as an athlete, and it made him realize the possibilities that he could pursue there. Connections. Thanks for listening to How We Teach This. We hope that you have enjoyed the podcast and will share with other educators about our program. You can subscribe on any of your favorite podcast platforms. If you want to write to us, our email address is hwtt at emporia.edu. If you want to follow us on Twitter, we're at hwtt underscore esu. And you can find us on Facebook. Just search for How We Teach This. This episode was produced by Christy Dugan. And I'd like to recognize Dr. Zenny Colorado-Resa and Terry Kaiser for their support. I'm Christy Dugan, and you've been listening to How We Teach This.